Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. The final from Los Angeles. It's the Cleveland Guardians 2, the LA Dodgers 1. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And just a little show note at the top of the show, I do have a co-host for this episode. My uh, two-month-year-old son is sitting here next to me in his boppy pillow. So if you hear some baby noises throughout the uh, broadcast, he's wide awake this morning. He's uh, kicking, he's swinging his arms, he's having a blast staring out the window. But if you do hear some baby noises creep in, I don't know if the mic's going to pick them up. Uh, Hopefully they'll all stay happy baby noises and we'll get through this recording. So let's get into the storylines of this game. The Dodgers facing the vaunted Dodgers in their, their, you know, classic stadium, a big night. We were on the national Apple TV plus broadcast, a huge night for the guardians. And guess what? They pull out the win. They pull out the win. They, they get what I'm calling the away team advantage. It really feels to me once you hit extra innings, uh, you know, it is all in favor of the away team, uh, being able to score first in the top of that inning is such a huge leg up uh, with this, you know, new runner on second rule. I don't know. This game goes late into the night if it's not for that 10th inning rule. I mean, it did exactly what it was supposed to do. It ended the game right there at 10. I couldn't. I tried. I tried so hard. I'm pretty sure I saw the sack fly. I'm pretty sure I saw the run come across in that 10th inning. And then my eyes, I couldn't keep them open anymore. My eyelids fell shut, uh, and I just had to call it. I had to call it for the night. I had to cross my fingers and hope the Guardians would hang on and win that one. And they do. They reward me. All right, so let's get into it. Let's get into the details. Before before we do that, I do want to say uh, I appreciate, you know, a lot of you listened to uh, yesterday's episode, and we, you know, we talked a little bit about David Blitzer. And some of you did go back and listen to that episode from January 1st, so a uh, shout out to those of you that, you know, went back. The, the episode already had a lot of, you know, plays on it. So, you know, I'm sure a lot of you had heard that information back in January. But a few of you went back and got caught up uh, on that episode. So I even went back and listened to it before I recorded because I was like, what did I say about the guy? I want to make sure I say the right things here. So, uh, yeah, so that was pretty cool that a few of you did that. And, uh, you know, I, I hope you're getting excited for the future of the Guardians uh, and what, you know, what this all can mean. It's going to be a long, long road. I mean, six years is a long time to kind of transition this thing. So we'll see what happens there. But this show today is not going to be about that. It is going to be about this game with the Dodgers. And I mean, is the biggest storyline the fact that we were on Apple TV Plus, right? That seemed to be most of the opinions of what people thought about the broadcast. Were you able to find it? Or did you have to listen to Rosie and Alcorn uh, on the radio call? Um, you know, apparently, if you have an iPhone or an iPad, they let you just watch it for free. Watch the baseball games for free, which was nice. I didn't have to figure out my parents' login because I definitely did not write it down anywhere. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, I hope you were all able to find it. Frankly, I thought the broadcast was fine like it's it's kind of hard to really screw up a baseball broadcast for me mostly because i'm not sitting there in my man cave like watching every second listening to every word i'm you know at 10 o'clock at night i'm not making dinner anymore but 
uh, you know, I'm doing things with my family. The dog wants to go off, you know, for his nighttime, you know, routine and uh, wants to play and roll around on the floor. The, you know, the baby's crying, then he's calm, then he's crying, then he's calm. So you got to work on that. So I'm not like locked in 100%. I did have, because I wanted to know what it was like to watch, you know, one of their broadcasts. I did have, a you know, one of my Bluetooth headphones in my ear. So I'm watching TV with my wife and taking care of the baby and the dog and listening to the game in one ear. So I caught a little bit of it. And yeah, yeah, it's a little bit of a immature conversation. I wouldn't even call it. it. It's, yeah, it's a younger conversation in the booth. It is. They're, they're trying to keep it light. They're trying to keep it fun. They talk about random things. They make 90s references. Um yeah, it's not your old two old cronies in there talking about the way baseball was in the 70s, which is kind of what you get from Manning and Underwood. And uh, Andre not doing his best to keep the broadcast fresh. Yeah, it was some younger people, and the play-by-play guy wasn't super focused on the action. They get distracted. They try to do random things like, oh, let's go down to the field sound. And it just turns out it's one of the most complicated plays of the entire game where Jimenez makes an error, but uh, Maley is covering third base and Muncie goes for third and Naylor throws across and there's no play-by-play announcer to let you know like what's happening there. You know, that just happened to be the, the at-bat that they try to use the field noise or whatever it was. Um, so yeah, I, I, th- I thought that was fine. I saw the game. That's the, kind of all that matters to me. I got to see the game. Uh, frankly, the Bally Sports broadcast screws up their cameras just as much as any other broadcast screws up their cameras, where they cut to the wrong thing at the wrong time, or a camera guy's out of position. Like, it happens in every sports broadcast. Um, so yeah, so whatever. The Bally Sports broadcast, or the uh, Apple TV po- Plus broadcast just fine. And we're going to be on Fox National tonight. So another national broadcast. All right, let's get into the actual storylines of the game. I think that's the third time I've said that so far this podcast. Um, I mean, the top storyline for me is the battle between Polisak and Kershaw, the battle between the Guardians bullpen and the Dodgers bullpen. And frankly, I'd like to tell you there was something between Kershaw and Polisak. Like they did it so differently. I'd like to tell you that there was something significant that stood out about the way Plesak pitched and the way he was able to give you a quality start. But there wasn't. I mean, it's almost like he didn't do anything that right on the day and still ends up with a quality start. Doesn't get the win. You know, obviously in a 1-1 game, the win goes to the bullpen eventually, but still gives you a quality start despite being hard hit 11 times in this game. Despite giving up the home run, he still some he walks more guys than he strikes out, and he somehow still walks away from this thing with a good night. And Kershaw on the other side doesn't go that deep. He was coming back from injury a little bit, so he only lasts five innings, only lasts 81 pitches. He's only hard hit three times, and he was good, but he wasn't. I mean, he only struck out four. He at least he didn't walk people. He only walked one. So the final lines on the day, Plesak, six inning pitched, five hits, one run, two walks, one strikeout, and the home run given up on 93 pitches. Kershaw, five innings pitched, five hits, one run, one walk, four strikeouts, no home runs given up on 81 pitches, only three hard hit balls for Kershaw. So definitely you could say the thing Kershaw did on the night was, you know, limit hard contact from a team, the Guardians team that, you know, hit some hard contact. 
Please Zach, there's nothing in the CSW numbers that are really eye-popping. He only had a 12% whiff rate, five whiffs on 41 swings. He mixed in some called strikes. It gets him up to a 22% CSW. So he wasn't, you know, racking up the strikes on these guys. Wasn't really inducing weak contact. They averaged a 98.8 mile per hour exit velocity off his four-seam fastball. That was the average was 98.8 on eight balls put in play. It gets a little bit weaker off of his off-speed stuff. Uh, For Kershaw, on the other side, it's a little bit different story. That slider was good. Had a 42% whiff rate to that slider. I think most of those were Oscar Gonzalez and Luke Maley. It was a total 36% CSW for that pitch. It's only a 32% CSW total on the day for Kershaw. So again, not elite stuff. Good. Respectable. Not elite, but he does get the weak contact. The average exit velocity off his four-seam fastball, and they only put six in play, was 78.8 mile-per-hour exit velocity. So that definitely goes down as some weak contact right there. The one thing I could say is that neither of these guys really let themselves get into a jam. There were a bunch of doubles hit in this game. There were a bunch of leadoff hits in this game. And none of them end up costing anybody anything, except for, I guess, uh, Jose Ramirez, uh, you know, kicking off that fourth inning. That's the only one that comes around to score. Uh, So, yeah. So, I mean, Ahmed Rosario doubles in the first, and uh, Kershaw gets two strikeouts to get out of it. Even gives up that walk in the first, and it doesn't come back to cost him. Uh, Strikes out Jose Ramirez and strikes out Josh Naylor. Trey Turner singles the lead off the first inning for the uh, Dodgers, and he gets two ridiculously hard lineouts. I mean, the bat bip was working in Plesak's favor. Freeman and Will Smith line out at respectively 104.8 miles per hour and 105.2 miles per hour. I think one of those lineouts was to, one of those was definitely to Andres Jimenez, um, and it ends up not hurting. Mac Muncy flies out to end the inning, so a leadoff hit doesn't hurt. Bellinger hits the home run, but it's a solo home run in the second. He destroys this thing. 107.2 miles per hour exit velocity, 423 feet. Uh, He absolutely smokes this one. Bellinger, who has fallen way off since his MVP season, still has power, though. I think it's his eighth home run on the season. And uh, this was just Plesek missing his spot. I mean, this was a fastball that was supposed to. Yes, it is his eighth home run on the season. This is a fastball that's supposed to be away. Looked like it was middle away, low away, and it comes in, and Bellinger just turns on it. So that was Plesek missing a spot. But it was a solo home run. We talked about it with McKenzie. Solo home runs you could live with. Quan singles to lead off the third, one of his little infield singles. He talked about it. He got interviewed on the pregame show. It was a, kind of a nice interview. And he talked about it. he's totally fine being pesky, being known as pesky, you know, driving pitchers crazy. And these little infield hits like this will definitely do that. However, Straw hits in a force out. Rosario hits in during double play. Hey, get out of it. Trey Turner with a double in the third inning, a one-out double, a walk to Freeman, and they get out of it. Jose Ramirez, we'll talk about that fourth inning rally. Um, then uh, they go one, two, three in the fourth, in the bottom of the fourth, in the top of the fifth. Uh, a double by Gavin Lux in the fifth inning. A line out, a single, but they can't advance him all the way, and Will Smith with the force out ends that threat, so another double doesn't come around to score. A leadoff walk in the sixth inning, 
ends up not costing him anything. They get out of the sixth inning. So you can see this keeps happening. Hanzo Alberto leads off the seventh with a single. They end up getting out of it. Freddie Freeman hits into a double play. Uh, then, uh, man, the Guardians' bats get really quiet there for a few innings. Uh, the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning, the Guardians' bats are quiet. Ninth inning, they lead off with a single. Uh, and they still can't bring around that run to score in the ninth inning for the Dodgers. So, yeah, so you could see how all these leadoff hits to start innings and all these doubles, right? Even the walks that a few walks that are mixed in there don't end up costing these pitchers. So they never really let the game get out of control, no matter what the situation was. A lot of times, yeah, a leadoff walk or a leadoff single or a big double can spark a rally, and it just never... These sparks never lit the fuse last night, right? These innings never imploded. Both Plesak and Kershaw, and then the bullpen guys that follow them, really, really stay under control. And credit to the bullpen. My God. Henches comes in. He goes an inning. He does give up two hits, but he gets a strikeout and gets out of it. Trevor Steffen ends up coming in and goes an inning in a third. He extends himself a little bit. Does give up a hit, but gets a strikeout. Ghost then comes in. High leverage situation. He finishes, uh, he pitches the eighth, finishes the ninth inning, and then even pitches to the first batter in the tenth. Goes a clean three batters with two strikeouts from Anthony Ghost. And then De Los Santos comes in and finishes things off. Uh, he does give up a walk, but gets a big strikeout to end things in the tenth inning. Um, you know, CSW numbers are hard with relievers, but I can tell you that the two seam sinker was working for Sam Hedges. Uh, three whiffs on four swings. That's an 80% CSW on that pitch, uh, which he threw the most on the day from Henches. Uh, Trevor Steffen, uh, he got four called strikes on the slider. That's what was working best for him on the day. Ghost, it was actually the slider. He's known for that 98-mile-per-hour fastball. It was actually the slider. Three swings on three whiffs. Three whiffs on three swings, 100% whiff rate on his slider. Add in a called strike for a 57% CSW on that pitch. So, yeah, Ghost gets it done with the slider. And then De Los Santos also with the slider. So on a day that was started talking about cleaning Kershaw's sliders, it's actually the Guardians' bullpen that brings the sliders on this day and uh, are able to get the win with that pitch. So that's what was working for those guys. So it's pretty incredible. That the Guardians bullpen is able to do this without Eli Morgan, without Emmanuel Classe, and without Brian Shaw. Uh, I know you probably didn't want to see Brian Shaw, but you probably wanted to see Classe, and you probably want to see Eli Morgan. Those guys just cannot. You can't pitch them every day. Even Terry Francona, as much as he would love to, cannot pitch them every single day. So the secondary guys in the bullpen had to show up. It's probably Anthony Gosh's most high-leverage situation he's ever pitched in, and on StatCast here, they do keep track of this. They do keep track of the win probability added just for this game. And guess who your leader is in win probability added? It's Anthony Ghost out of the bullpen who pitches to three batters out of the bullpen. And he adds a 47.7 uh, win probability to the 100% win total eventually, right? The Guardians, obviously, if they win the game, they reach 100% win probability. Well, Anthony Ghost is responsible for like 50% of that, of those gains. So yeah, so Ghost, based on the statistics, was the most valuable person on the field. And uh, frankly, you know, I'm going to, you know, 
spoil it here because otherwise I'll forget it. Apparently, I forget MVP for them today so many times. It has to go to the whole bullpen. I mean, Anthony Ghost at the top, right? Anthony Ghost is the one who I'm handing the trophy to, but it really goes to all four of those guys. Because for Henches to come in in a high leverage situation, for Stefan to bounce back, by the way, his home and away splits, they talked about it a little bit on the broadcast. But apparently Trevor Stefan's home and away splits are significantly different. Um, so that's pretty interesting. He's actually really, really good uh, on away games. He's got a 0.77 ERA on the road. He's got a 6.75 ERA at home in Cleveland. A 0.51 whip on the road, a 1.92 whip at home. He has not walked anyone on the road. He has not given up a home run on the road. He's given up two home runs and seven walks in progressive field, but zeros on the road. 12 strikeouts at both, home and away, 12 strikeouts each. So that's significantly different. I don't know why Trevor Steffen does not like pitching at progressive field, but he hates it. But on the road, man, he is a road warrior. Um, so, yeah, so uh, you got to give credit to all these guys. Goes coming in in that high leverage situation, pitching in that ninth, pitching in that tenth. And then De Los Santos going out there and getting the save with Class A unavailable, right? De Los Santos. You know, a guy who you wouldn't know how much to expect from. I'm a guy, I believe he was, didn't he get the minor league contract with an invite to spring training um, this year? He, he is a hired hand that we went out and found. Someone we found off someone else's scrap heap. And we knew that velocity would play. We knew those strikeouts would play in the Cleveland bullpen. And he goes out and gets himself his first save of the season. So, all four of those guys, uh, with Ghost holding the trophy for them, get MVP on the day. All right, there's other things that happen in this game. Um, the Guardians do score two runs. They score both on sack flies. A little rallies. That's what you get from the Guardians. They weren't big rallies on the day. They were little rallies. Jose Ramirez kicks things off with an infield single, right, to third base. He legs it out. This is all Jose Ramirez hustle here. Gonzalez then shoots one through the right side at 106.6 mile per hour exit velocity. That's right. Gonzalez not only gets a single off Kershaw, he also walked in his first at-bat. Are you kidding me? Oscar Gonzalez drawing a walk? Uh, so the day started very well for him at the plate. Ramirez hustles all the way around a third. Of course he does. And the Naylor battles a long at-bat against Kershaw. Eventually gets the sack fly out into center field. Um, and it brings in Jose Ramirez to score. It ties the game up. It's an inning and a half later after uh, Cody Bellinger's home run. But still, you, you went and tied the game up. I'm sure that felt really good for Plesak. Uh, really good for the Guardians' offense to know they were, like we said, wiping that zero off the board has to feel great for these guys. You know, seeing a number up there on the board besides zero has to just send, you know, a shot of confidence through that dugout. They can't get anything else that inning despite an Andres Jimenez single with two outs. Uh, Maley would strike out to end that threat. And I mean, things get really quiet for the Guardians' offense for the rest of the night. And until that 10th inning, and sure enough, Andres Jimenez comes up. You know, we talked about this a lot going into this, that, you know, Jimenez, we want to see him playing every day, finally against a left-handed starter. He didn't deviate his lineup at all. Quan was in there. Jimenez was in there. Naylor was in there. He did not deviate his lineup at all for the left-handed starter. 
I don't know what it was in their data. Historically, Kershaw has been very good against left-handed hitting. This season, the splits aren't great, but he also has been out with an injury, so it's not that much data to go on. I don't know if it was the national TV broadcast. I don't know if Apple TV went, look, give us our your best players. Like, seriously, no joke. We need the ratings. Give us Andres Jimenez. Give us your best players. Uh, I don't know what it was that he decided not to go with his right-handed lineup, not to clear his bench, but he didn't, and it paid dividends. We won the game. Jimenez has an all-right day at the plate. He ends up going two for four. He's the only guardian with two base hits on the day. He's the only one with a crooked number in that hit column on the day, and he ends up getting a single to kick off this 10th inning, uh, and then it moves that runner over. That runner would be Owen Miller, moves him over to third. And then Richie Palacios, this guy knows how to get a runner in from third. It's not pretty, but he's starting to rack up RBIs, hits a sack fly out there, and brings in Owen Miller to score. It's all we could do. Straw would draw a walk, but Amon Rosario would strike out. Uh, after a quant ground out, this all happens. Uh, so they get out of the 10th, giving up the one run, the one run that, frankly, they're supposed to, and then the Guardians bullpen just shuts it down. Um, you know, Freeman would strike out to Ghost, and then De Los Santos would come in, get a ground out from Will Smith. He would walk Mac, Max Muncy, but then he would strike out Justin Turner with the slider to end things. So that's the Guardians offense right there, uh, kind of all summed up. I mean, there's not much to talk about, but at least they were able to get the job done when they had runners on. I, I can live with sack flies. If that's how we're scoring runs, as long as we keep... Uh, hearing those Mario coins chime. And I know it's in Dodger Stadium, so you're not hearing Mario coins, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, as long as we keep scoring runs, I don't. it doesn't matter to me how we do it. I just love seeing guys cross the plate. So if we lead the league in sack flies this year, I'm fine with it. Uh, let the Yankees and the Dodgers lead the league in home runs. We'll lead the league in sack flies, and uh, we'll see who comes out on top in the end. Um, so yeah, so that's the Guardians offense. A few other notes I had here. Kershaw makes a really athletic play, uh, snagging a ground ball to his right. It's supposed to be Plesak who's the athlete, right? We're used to Plesak making these super athletic plays. Kershaw gets it done uh, on the day. He does make a really good athletic play. Um, Gonzalez uh, going back on the ball does give up a double early in the game. Uh, yeah, he struggles going back on the ball. I think it was the Trey Turner double in the third. Uh, I saw a little conversation about this on Guardians Twitter. Gonzalez, that's something I would be out there working. I don't know. I'm sure they're working on with him on a lot of things. But if I were the outfield coach for the Guardians, I'd be out there hitting Gonzalez fly balls, making him run backwards just over and over and over again. I Hopefully that's something that can be improved with experience. There's a few things that can be improved improved with experience. There's some things that just take instincts. There's some things that just take God-given athletic ability. But making a nice break on the ball hopefully is something that can be learned with experience. And Gonzalez is going to have to work on going backwards, turning and sprinting to the wall, getting back on a ball. Uh, he needs to come up with that catch in the third inning. Speaking of Gonzalez, he did have that drop pop-up in the ninth inning that almost blew the entire game. I, I don't know what happened there. That's just, that's, that's rough. That can't be happening in the ninth inning. Uh, you know, if it wasn't a 1-1 game, if it had been a 2-1 lead in that ninth inning, uh, he probably goes for a defensive replacement at that point. 
right? Tito loves doing that to Gonzalez. But, man, it, I mean, he got redemption because he does make the final out of that ninth inning. So at least he gets some redemption there. But dropping that ball, that's really rough. And speaking of Guardians errors, a Guardians error turns in to one of the coolest plays of the entire game. Uh, Andres Jimenez actually makes an error on a ground ball. Uh, I believe it was in the sixth inning. Yeah, because Muncie walks. Turner had flied out. Cody Bellinger then hits a ground ball to Andres Jimenez. I don't know if he was rushing to turn a double play, what it was, but he can't field it cleanly. He makes an alert play and tries to go to first to make the out there. Bellinger beats it out. Muncie just keeps running around second base. He thinks he's got a chance to go to third, but it turns out that the catcher, Luke Maley, with the heads-up play of the day, and you know what? It's probably just really, really good, smart baseball. For from the catcher position, he sprints all the way down the third base line, and he's covering third base. Ramirez had gone, I don't know if they had the shift on. They probably had the shift on for Bellinger. So Ramirez was probably a mile off third base. So Ramirez is sprinting with Muncie to try to beat him to the bag to accept a throw from Naylor. Instead, it's Maley covering the catcher in all his catcher's gear, takes the throw from Naylor, slaps the tag down on Muncie, and they get the out there. So what could have turned into a bad play ends up turning into a crazy play. And that's the one that the broadcasters weren't even on the mic for uh, when they were doing their field sounds. So a huge, huge heads-up play from Luke Maley. That's cool to see. He is terrible at controlling the running game. Uh, Someone tried to steal second, and he ends up throwing the ball into center field. We've seen that from him too many times. It was Bellinger uh, who stole that base. We've seen that too many times where he's thrown that ball in the center field where he's launched that throw. So we can say that Maley is probably not the best defensive catcher at controlling the running game, but he does make a really smart baseball play here in the sixth inning to get down and cover that base. All right, a few other notes that I want to talk about. Um, we got to talk about Miles Straw. He goes 0 for 4 at the top of the lineup. He does draw a walk in that 10th inning, but it doesn't really turn into anything. Look, I got into a conversation. I've seen some conversations on Guardians Twitter. Someone actually hit me up in the DMs, and we had a really nice conversation about it. We had a polite, actual conversation about it, which is something you don't get every day on Twitter. And, uh, yeah, we discussed that the guaranteed contract for Miles Straw that they gave him at the beginning of the season does change things a little bit. It does make them a little bit more committed to him because it's not the kind of thing where you get into arbitration and you decide, you know what, we're moving on. And you just, you could not, just not even tender a guy a contract. Can't do that now with Miles Straw. He is on your team for the next few years unless you can, you know, squeeze him into a trade package. And his defense is spectacular in center field. We can all agree on that. When his on-base percentage is going well, things are going well for Miles Straw. But where he's at right now, he really should not be hitting leadoff anymore. He should be hitting 8th or ninth right now. Now, in April, it's great. In April, he's got a 387 on base. And for Miles Straw, I don't care about batting average. I don't care about slugging percentage. And you know what? StatCast will tell you, that he is one of the worst sluggers in all of baseball. His slugging percentage, he is in the expected slugging percentage is in the third percentile. Bottom three in the league, basically, in slugging percentage. And hard hit percentage is the second percentile. So it is bottom of the league. So in April, 
387 on base percentage. Really good. 13 walks, five doubles and a triple. That's good stuff from Strong. May, he struggles. May, the on-base percentage just slips to 286. All right. Still more walks than strikeouts. 14 walks to 12 strikeouts. Only four doubles. The extra base hits start to drop off. In June, we have fallen off a cliff. The on-base percentage is 190 for the month of June. Only four walks to eight strikeouts. No extra base hits. No doubles in there from Straw this month. He has really, really fallen off uh, with that on-base percentage. So, that is something that has to turn around. He has to have a respectable on-base percentage. That's the way Miles Straw can be effective in this game. So, yes, I don't think it's time to move on from Straw. But the hard part is, there are young guys in AAA and AA that are going to be knocking on the door very soon. Valera in AA is destroying the baseball. Destroying it. Hitting home runs like crazy. There's guys like Brennan in AAA that are playing really, really good baseball. Now, you know, maybe Oscar Gonzalez goes back down and one of those guys from AAA gets a shot in his place. But eventually, someone is going to challenge Miles Straw for center field. And if that on-base percentage isn't respectable, then, yeah, I mean, there's there's he's not the only player on this baseball team that 100% is locked into their position is Jose Ramirez. Everybody else is going to have to battle year after year, spring after spring. There's only one guy that you could write in pen, you could write in Sharpie for the next few years, and that's Jose Ramirez. Everybody else's name is in pencil, including Miles Straw, even though he got that guaranteed contract. So yeah, so that is something that's definitely going to have to turn around. And frankly, let's stop letting him work it out at the top of the lineup. Let's let him work it out in the nine hole. Let Quan go to the top of the lineup. Right? Uh, give somebody else a chance up there. Uh, because Straw, I, I know you're like, if he hits in the nine hole, yeah, he just comes around again and he's basically hitting leadoff. Yeah, that's kind of the point. You keep his speed up there in front of Jose Ramirez. But there's not as much pressure as him pressure on him to get on base from the nine hole as there is for the one hole. So I think that might turn things around from Straw. I, Francona moves very slow on these things, so though. So we'll see if he makes a move. The other stuff I wanted to talk to you about, um, there was some big uh, news. There was some big MLB news. First, we didn't have to face Mookie Betts in this one. I guess he's face, feet, dealing with a right rib contusion, they say. I guess him and Bellinger had collided in the outfield on Wednesday, and then basically his ribs were pretty sore. And so, yeah, you can imagine it's pretty hard to swing a bat with sore ribs. So we'll see if Betts finds his way back into the lineup at all this series or if the Guardians catch a little bit of a break not having to face the former MVP in there in right field. Um, the other big news is another top prospect in baseball got the call-up. Riley Green, uh, the center fielder for the Detroit Tigers, their former number one pick. He gets the call-up. The number two prospect in all of baseball uh, is coming up. The number one prospect, Adley Rushman, had already made his debut for Baltimore. Obviously, we faced him. Uh, so, yeah. So Riley Green comes up. Was he in the lineup last night? Uh, no, he was not in the lineup last night for the Tigers. So I'm guessing he's making his debut today. Uh, so yeah, so now three of the top four prospects in all of baseball 
have made their debuts. This is according to MLB's prospect rankings. I'm sure if you look at Baseball America or something else, it's slightly different. By the way, your top guardian on this list is Daniel Esposino at number 11 in all of baseball down there in double A. Also on the list, why not? Let you know where all the guardians stand. George Valera is next at 41. He is also still down in double A right now. Again, like I said, absolutely destroying it. Gabriel Arias comes in at 65. He's dealing with that injury. Um, so he should be back soon. Brian Rocchio is at 73. Another infielder. You're going to see a lot of infielders here now. Um, Gavin Williams. I missed someone. Gavin Williams is at 98. Tyler Freeman was at 75, right behind Brian Rocchio. Uh, so, yeah, Rocchio and Freeman in the 70s. And then, uh, yeah, the young pitcher, Gavin Williams, uh, checks in at 98 on this list. So there's your Guardians prospects. The other thing I noticed uh, in national news, national MLB news the other day, is that Anthony Rendon went down with another injury. I think he's out for the season, they said. This guy, before the COVID year, coming off that World Series run with the Nationals, signed a seven-year, $245 million contract with the Angels. And I mean, just the production just gone. Gone. This is a guy that had been hit at least 20 home runs for the last four years, had hit 34 in that all-star 2019 season. Ends up with, now, COVID season, he only hits nine home runs in that shortened season. All right. But six home runs in 2021, only five home runs this year. Uh, The RBIs, he's never hit more than 34 for the Angels. Uh, This is a guy that hit 40-some doubles in every season, you know, in the last three seasons for the Nationals. Only hits 13 doubles in that 2021 season. He's never had more than 200, just over 200 at-bats, 250 plate appearance, 249, sorry to be accurate, 249 plate appearances in that 2021 season. So, whew, I mean, talk about your all-time bad timings to sign a guy. Like, this guy's career is kind of falling off a cliff. He can't stay healthy, and they just signed him for a massive contract. So every time I hear Rendon's name pop up in kind of the national media, I just I remember this guy was absolutely destroying baseballs for the Nationals, and then he goes to L.A. and just... It kind of feels like the same thing that happened with Pujols, right? They signed Pujols from St. Louis and then can't stay healthy. The production just drops off. Um, yeah, man, the Angels just have the worst luck with signing guys. It might be worse than the Madden curse or the SI curse, right? Being on the cover of Sports Illustrated. It really might. You sign a big long-term contract with the uh, Angels and it has not been good luck for your career. All right, so that's all the national news that I noticed going on. I like to try to slip that in as much as possible. Uh, but yeah, so we, we spend most of our time talking Guardians game stuff, but every now and then we'll slip in some national news. So that's all my thoughts on this one. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. It's great to get this first win under our belt against LA to keep the winning streak going. Uh, yeah, I mean, you you probably looked at the schedule and saw this L.A. series and thought, well, we, we might get swept on it. You know, this is going to be a tough one, right? If we win one, we'll be lucky. Well, we already won our one, so that makes the whole weekend a bonus for us Guardians fans. Let's see if we can go on there and win this series. Keep the winning streak going. By the way, the Twins lost, so we are now a game back in the American League Central. We're right. I think we actually moved into second place in the wild card. Not that any of that matters right now. It's still fun still fun to see us up there right in the win column 
competing with the top of the division, competing with the top of the league. It's still fun. All right, so that's all my thoughts on this one. Again, the final from LA. It's the Guardians 2, the Dodgers 1. You can follow me on Twitter at David Ferris. We're starting a little earlier, so we should be able to stay awake and make it to the end of this one. You notice my tweets dropped off uh, pretty quickly last night. It got pretty late. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. If you have thoughts on, uh, you know, Miles Straw leading off or anything like that, if you've got thoughts uh, on this current win streak the Guardians are on, hit me up at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, the team, on prospects. We'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor. So if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me and my son making the baby noises on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.